Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound. Who's afraid of AI? Not us. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And joining us today is Brandon Marug. Brandon is the Chief Operating Officer at Alum, a manager of global supply chains. Brandon, welcome. Thanks. Happy to be here. Hopefully we'll relieve some of that, some of that fear around big, bad AI. Well, we're glad to have you, and hopefully we are relieved when this is all said and done. You know, over the last 20 years, I've had the opportunity to report on any number of new technologies. I think I'm as familiar as the next guy with the technology hype cycle. That's where a new technology is lauded as the silver bullet for whatever ails you, literally. I remember a conference where an executive from Walmart predicted that RFID would ultimately lead to a cure for cancer and world hunger. Shocker. About two years later, Walmart abandoned its RFID strategy. By the way, I was listening to Bill Maher uh, on TV a couple of weeks ago, and he said that AI is going to lead to a cure for cancer and world hunger. So it feels like it feels like we're at that same place. Anyway, I, I've, I've never seen anything quite like AI. On the one hand, it is lauded as the most important technological development of the last hundred years. It's one that will revolutionize our lives. And on the other hand, well, it could be the end of humanity as we know it. It's all a little scary, but that doesn't mean it has to be. So Brandon, let's start with this. Where do you come down on those extremes? End of humanity or you know, the savior of humanity? And how are you and your customers viewing AI at Allen? Yeah, it's funny you bring up the RFID thing with Walmart, I remember that. And the, the other thing I think about a lot with AI is robots. When robots kind of hit the scene, you know, decades ago, it was just another similar thing. We had a lot of movies about robots and in the world and that kind of thing, too. So I don't think we need to start building bunkers in our backyards yet. Uh, right now, we're really viewing it as a tool. It's a shiny, really impressive new tool, but a tool nonetheless. And it's been, you know, it's not something that's super new on the scene, right? It's been coming in slowly, even though it's we have these big, like, releases, like a chat GPT comes out and everybody freaks out. But We've had predictive text in your cell phone for gosh, how long now? A decade, and that's and that's AI. So I think it will end up changing the way that we live in some ways, for sure. Changing the way that we predict the outcomes of things, uh, and that's and I think that's overall going to be a positive thing as long as we can kind of you know, hone it and 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 make it and make it the tool that we we need. Brandon, we're hearing a lot of different types of AI. As you indicated, we've been experiencing some type of AI, but we really haven't, you know, referenced it as AI. And then there's the concept of regenerative AI versus generative AI. From your perspective, what's the difference between the two? And is it mainstream yet, or are we still in the adoption awareness phase? Generative AI is the one that we're the most familiar with, right? That's your your chat GPTs and the like uh, that are out there. And they take care and feeding. Right? What people don't really realize is that chat GPT is constantly being refined, honed, 
adjusted so that it doesn't, you know, make you make recommendations like you should murder your family to make your living expenses uh, uh, better. So it, it's it has morality issues that are constantly being tackled with by humans, by by programmers. And the next phase of that is that the the system itself, the AI itself, will participate in that refinement. It'll participate in that regeneration. You can you can call it to make it to make it better. Uh, and it's uh, and that's what can be pretty exciting, right? If if but it can also be pretty scary because we have to really be in control of that regenerative process, and that we have not cracked yet. There's no good way or no good example necessarily of regenerative AI that's really taking hold. One of the common things that people talk about with regenerative AI is that's what we need for all the cars to start really driving themselves. Right. And they're talking to each other. They're participating in the refinement of what's going on. There's nobody kind of holding the wheel, as it were. So that's that's the difference. Regenerative is really something that's taking care of itself more than than people taking care of it. Brian, let's talk a little bit about data. You know, for AI to be effective, it's got to have data. I was at an event. I actually think it was at an ASCM uh, event where someone was presenting on um, AI and big data and was saying, that you know the reason the Chinese have an advantage in AI over the U.S. is they've got three billion people to collect data from, and we have three hundred million. And so you know, right. just just look at the difference. If we think about that, a couple of questions that flow from it. One is where does the data come from that AI tools are taking in and analyzing? And I guess that's from a supply chain perspective. You know, can it be trusted? And then second. Since machine learning is part of this, you know, you're going to have to have enough data and enough history for AI to be effective. So, you know, what do you see as kind of the uptake time for that? Yeah, and and the way that the AI is working right now is it needs massive, massive amounts of data. And one of the ways you can think about the difference between uh, an, an AI and a human brain, it says, for instance, is the human brain actually does a really good job with pretty limited information. AI does a terrible job with limited information. It needs a ton of information to even really be able to operate. And you said it on the head, the, the information's coming from us. It's coming from the internet. It's really a, a new type of interface to what we've already put out into the world. And a lot of people say that ChatGPT in, in particular is a reflection of ourselves and what we put on the web over the past you know, call it 30, 40 years. So that's really what, what, they're, what the data is pulling from. And then you can have other AI products out there, not necessarily ChatGPT, but AI products are say more geared toward a supply chain or something like that, or, or an industry like supply chain, where they can isolate the data and say, well, you know, ignore all these things that are not pertinent and ignore, you know, your grandmother's texts and those kinds of things, but still, but, but hone itself really on a certain subset of data. But that's difficult because, as I just said, they need a lot of information. And without that information, it becomes less and less valuable. Brandon, give me a sense. You, you referenced a little bit about supply chain. Um, historically, where we've seen, you know, the artificial intelligence or robotics has been in the, you know, the lift in terms of repetitive tasks or, you know, the things that traditionally have been right. in the labor side, not on the knowledge side. Give me a sense where you're seeing generative AI operate in the supply chain today and connected to the worker. You know, who is this affecting the most? 
lots of examples of, of AI at work in the supply chain, right? The most obvious one that people I think would, would associate with the most is, is in logistics. So that's in where's my package type stuff where you can, you can speak to an AI chatbot and they can figure out what, if there's a problem with your order or when it's going to be delivered. Those kinds of things have all had that kind of interaction with what might be a, not a, a customer support agent, but is instead an AI customer support agent. And I think that's going to continue to increase and that'll be a, a major interface to supply chain customers as the end user talking to AI and then that AI adjusting things on the back end for, for transportation systems and, and logistics companies. Uh, contract negotiations is another interesting one. Uh, Walmart did a, an experiment where uh, Walmart International actually sought to close deals with suppliers for items such as shopping carts and store equipments and things like that. And it negotiated payment discounts and extended termination terms. And the chatbot closed, ended up closing like 65% of the, of the 89 suppliers that participated. So even things like that, where you're, where you're having contract negotiations, the AI can take on part of that and, and, and really increase efficiency. Another area is inventory, right? So uh, generative AI can enhance the ability of teams to make decisions to prioritize inventory action based on company's history, and order quantities, lead times, demand analysis. This is kind of where we're seeing it right now. We, I'd like to think of it as like safety stock levels on steroids, I guess you could say where we have been using AI as part of our business intelligence platform at, at Elon to really identify inventory trends and try to curb you know, changes in demand by using AI to identify those patterns. Uh, Brandon, just a follow-up um, on examples, uh, and then I'll come to uh, the next question I was going to ask. But when you talk to, say, the consulting firms, like Accenture is is doing a lot of work on AI. One of the areas that they're looking at is digital twins, and yeah. and they say that they're kind of starting with, you know, looking at well, can we replicate how a machine is operating so we can look at that, and then could we take that longer and you know look at a whole facility, but then ultimately, could we extend it to bringing in our transportation networks or bringing in our suppliers or ultimately bringing in, you know, from supplier through customer? If you, you know, think about yeah, some of the examples you gave us are just, you know, where we are today. If you, you, you put on your, you know, future goggles, where do you potentially see it going, whether that's, you know, three years, five years, 10 years from now? The digital twin thing is interesting because I do think the next evolution in digital twin that AI will help us with is an entire digital twin of someone's supply chain, just as you intimated, right? Not just the warehouse operation or not just how the way a machine works, but the entire supply chain being digitized in a twin so the AI can run different types of models and run different type of optimizations against that digital twin and really try to hone in on that, on those outcomes and be really precise with those, with those outcomes. I think that is in our future for sure. Another place that I was thinking about AI really taking hold is an integration between systems. Uh, so you can imagine and kind of codeless integration between two system, say a warehouse management system and an ERP or a warehouse management system and a, and a transportation management system between two, two different companies where they were, uh, you can imagine a integration where the two systems are speaking to each other and almost inventing new connections on the fly. System A needs a new parameter from system B 
they negotiate that themselves without human interaction. And that and that uh, that new parameter is made available to the from the system of reference from the system of record to the system of reference, and all of a sudden you just get that additional visibility, or maybe a, the, the AI then gets that additional visibility, creates a new pattern recognition, creates a new suggestion about uh, a way to adjust your you know an inventory level or a process or a business process in general that could you know from being new optimization or enhance performance or enhance delivery time all those different uh, positive outcomes that we're looking for. So Brandon, when we, you know, when we think of like the congressional hearings and so on, there's yeah. a lot of talk about guardrails, you know, to, to protect us from AI. Yeah. One, does, does that apply to supply chain? And if so, if I'm a supply chain executive, what are the kind of guardrails I should be thinking about with regard to AI in my supply chain? So the first thing is, I would say, is a general uh, guardrail that I think everybody who's running a company, supply chain or not, needs to think about with, with AI and especially the large language models out there like ChatGPT. I know we keep bringing it up, but it is a good example. And I like to call that shadow AI. So this is where the company doesn't realize it's using AI. And that's because the people, the employees are taking it upon themselves to do so. Right. They're going into ChatGPT and they're writing their new return to office policy on, on ChatGPT. And, and ChatGPT is you know, doing that for them. So this shadow IT has been a thing for a long, long time. Right. I think you guys are probably familiar with that, which is where departments are kind of going you know, off the board or uh, doing cowboy IT and bringing in systems without the without kind of the blessing of the IT organization or the company as a whole. And that's happening big time with shadow AI, with 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 AI. You need to have a policy in place. You need to realize that it's happening and, and you need to educate people because there are privacy issues with ChatGPT, uh, confidentiality issues uh, with ChatGPT and, and, and the like. Many of them have essentially no privacy expectation. So as soon as I use a prompt to ChatGPT, that prompt becomes part of its knowledge base. So if I keep saying that Bob and Abe have the best podcast in supply chain history over and over again to the chat GPT. It'll, it'll eventually kind of become its truth. And, uh, and that can obviously be a dangerous thing. You can expose uh, company secrets that way. You can expose uh, security issues that way. Uh, of course, PII and you know, all of that mess that we don't even need to get into. So that, that's, that's a big thing I would say. And then from a security aspect in, in our industry, in the supply chain industry, it's also a major problem. So as we all know, supply chain is a, has been a target recently and a historical target for, for the bad guys out there in, this, in, in cyber attack. And this does not help. Uh, there's a huge security uh, kind of aspect to AI where AI is pretty darn good at creating phishing emails or talking to an individual to get them to you know, give up uh, company secrets, these kinds of things. And they can do it in mass and they can do it very cheap. Uh, and the more information they have about your company, the easier it is to, to, uh, to do it. So those are, those are some big things there. Uh, another thing that I would say is that the proliferation of bad data is a pitfall for you know, what we call early adapters or early uh, adopters, I should say, of, of AI. Uh, you know, we're used to technology getting better and better and better, right? The newest version is always better than the oldest, older version. Not so much with AI. Uh, AI is 
more up and down with having, when it gets better and then it takes a step back and then it gets better and then it takes a step back. In fact, some of uh, the more recent versions of ChatGPT, once again, it was having problems solving simple math questions, figuring out if a number was a prime number or not. And it would get it right about half the time when anybody with a calculator would have a better chance. And the previous version of ChatGPT got it right 100% of the time. So yeah, there's, there's bad data, but as I was talking about before, it's really the care and feeding, once again, of these systems that are, that are really refining the outcomes of these, of these prompts to be accurate and to be trustworthy. And right now it's, it's very difficult to see, it's very difficult to quantify, and you should really take it with a grain of salt. Uh, Brandon, first, I need to agree with you. Uh, we uh, do believe that this is the best podcast, so uh, definitely we agree with you there. Um, <laughs> give me a sense when you're talking about regenerative AI, what are we looking for You know, the, in terms of application? What's the potential for this? Potential is huge, obviously. It's exciting for something like demand planning, uh, purchasing, vendor management, contract negotiations, we talked about a little while ago, they'll get even better. Really anything where real-time self-correction, refinement, learning, you could call it, uh, can be advantageous. And that can be in many different aspects, right? So I think with generative AI, you have, call it tier one support can be AI driven and most people will accept it. Tier two support, maybe not so much. Regenerative will get you to tier two, tier three support, where it'll be better than getting a tier level two or level three support agent on the phone. I think that's not too far in our future. Transportation management systems, we'd be looking for patterns and anomalies on a dashboard. Regenerative AI is really good at pattern recognition, really, really good at it. And it'll be much faster than humans in recognizing those patterns. But that, of course, comes with more danger, right? So one of the things I was thinking about with, with uh, relying on AI is kind of that danger of instant action. You know, one of the things that we pay people in, in our industry to do is to, is to look at a dashboard and make decisions based on pattern recognition, right? That's what humans are really good at. Uh, but humans are also good at not acting, you know, seeing how things play out a little bit. I think AI has the danger of acting too quickly, uh, you know, making that adjustment because it just went over by that 0.1% when maybe that wasn't the right answer because it's going to, you know, come back down. We're going to have bumps in the road like that. And you have to be really careful with, with those issues. Brandon, we had uh, Yossi Sheffi on the podcast um, a, a couple of episodes ago. Abe had Yossi at the ASCM Connect in uh, Louisville. One of the things Yossi talked about his jobs. And, you know, when we asked Yossi is, uh, you know, will AI robots replace humans? His first answer was, well, talk to me in 10 years. His, <laughs> second, his second answer was, you know, a, a little historical perspective, which is that technology often replaces jobs, but it also creates jobs. Uh, when you think of AI and jobs, do you think we have reason to worry? You know, where uh, are you coming down on that? I would say I'm, I'm not worried. I think it's going to change our jobs. It's going to change the way we work. You know, if you talk about 150 years ago, what was it? 30% of the population were farmers. And now it's like 0.03%, something like that. So it's a similar type of thing. We're going to create lots of new jobs. And even the jobs that we're doing today will be AI enabled, but they'll still be jobs that humans are doing. You know, we have a, a product coming from Microsoft uh, called Copilot, 
which I think is a really good uh, word to, for their product because it is kind of like a co-pilot. It's, it's, it's helping you. It's a tool, right? Just like Microsoft Word is a tool, but you're still creating that. You're still the one adding the value from a human perspective, right? The human brain is still the most complex thing in the universe. It's going to remain that way for a while. And there's going to be no substitute for it, I think, for a, for a good long time. So I think jobs will change, um, but I don't think jobs will necessarily go away. You know, the people talk a lot about things like inventory analysts or paralegals uh, that will, where, where AI will be able to do their jobs. I think you'll have inventory analysts that use AI and then inventory analysts that don't use AI, we won't have as much. That's, that's, that's right. That's where I land on that. And I guess that's where a lot of the fear comes from, right? A lot of the fear comes from job replacement. And it's, I, I, once again, I go back to the old robot analogy. Uh, where, where robots were robots were scary because when robots came out, they looked like us, right? They had two arms and two legs and a head, and they were faster than us and and could do things smarter than us. Uh, but there's really no reason for a robot to look like a human. Uh, so I think it's similar with with like the large language models like ChatGPT. It very it feels very human. It feels like I'm talking to a human. But really, that's just an illusion. It's it, it's you know, ChatGPT and the large language models, they're just deciding what the next best word is to respond with. That's all they do. Feels very similar to the way we speak. And that's why I think it's so scary. But it is a little bit more of a parlor trick than it is a, a feature. Brandon, last question. And it, this is a conversation we had with Yossi as well in terms of you know adoption of new technology. It seems like when a new technology is first, you know, introduced, there's a tremendous amount of hype. I mean, we know the Gartner hype curve and, and beyond, but there seems to be an overestimate in terms of the impact in the short term and an underestimate in the long term on the impact. Uh, blockchain, a yeah, good example. You rarely hear about it now, but much more on the implementation side today. How long do you think before we're in that same, you know, format? or same contract, the context with AI and being mainstream for us? Yeah, I think it's going to, it'll slowly eke its way in. We're going to have these, these big things that come out, like Copilot will be a big deal that's coming out uh, actually this week. And, uh, and I think that'll be a, another kind of big bump in the road and, and it'll be exciting. And then it'll become kind of normal. You know, it's, AI is very mainstream. We, we're interacting with AI every single day. This, this call uh, is, is being partly managed by AI to make sure that our you know, voice levels are the same. And we just don't think about it, right? We don't think about it. And I think when people are feeling, oh, you know, when is this really going to be mainstream? They're really, what they're thinking is, when is AI going to be able to do my job? Or when is it going to be this all-knowing thing? And I think that'll come very slowly, very slowly. I, I, I would say, you know, another 10 years, 15 years, something like that before we see some real, real changes. Thanks, Brandon. That is all the time that we have today. A special thanks to our guest, Brandon Murray from Alum. Finally, a special thanks to you for joining us on this episode of The Rebound. We hope you'll be back for our next episode for The Rebound. I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And I'm Bob Troublecock. All the best, everyone. Thank you. The Rebound is a joint production 
of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and STMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.